Hi, everyone. Good evening. Nice to see you here. I'm Doug Fullington. I'm the manager of audience education here at PMB. Welcome to our presentation, our performance of Sandrione or Cinderella in a production by Jean-Christophe Maillot, who is the artistic director of uh, Les Ballet de Monte Carlo, whose Romeo and Juliet we also have in the repertory. And this is a, uh, I'd say, a related production, but uh, we'll get to that. Um, going to give a fair amount of background on this as I can. This is a new ballet to our repertory, although it was uh, first choreographed and presented in 1999. And it's a, in, presented in a little bit of a different format genre, if you will. And uh, I was trying to work out last week how to try and explain this if it needs explaining. And uh, so uh, I'll take you on that sort of journey if you will, but uh, want, I want to uh, invite your questions at any time, or if you want something uh, addressed that you're interested in before we see the performance, please feel free to send me in that direction. I'm very happy to uh, discuss whatever you like. But let's uh, talk about, I think first, I usually start with the music, but let's sort of talk about, if you don't mind, full-length ballets in general. Um, Full-length ballets, of course, are very uh, fill a very important part of ballet company repertory for most companies today. Most of the larger companies, you'll you see uh, if you look at our season altogether, it's a mix of full-length ballets and then mixed bills, as we call them, the shorter works. And some years there are more full-lengths than others. This year there are less, and there are more mixed bills, and it just sort of uh, rotates around. We add ballets to the repertory, we cycle ballets back through and so forth. Most full-length ballets, I'd say, are based on a 19th century model that was built up in the later 19th century, mostly uh, by Marius Petipa, who was the French choreographer that worked in Russia, whole second half of the 19th century. And this was a format where the ballet would be in several acts and the uh, ballet would proceed alternating between action and pantomime scenes, which would get the story moving and then set dances. Those would be solo dances, they'd be duets, they'd be group dances, and this is how the ballet would proceed. And the pantomime was a certain style of pantomime that uh, most folks ascribe to the Italian school. It has particular gestures. Uh, if you point to the ring finger, you're talking about marriage. If you hold your heart, you're talking about love. If you uh, outline a tiara on your head with your hands, you're talking about royalty. It's a whole set of gestures, and there are some that are really obscure. And people would study this pantomime who were patrons of ballet, and they would go so that they could understand. And pantomime was a very important art form. A dancer, say a ballerina, was expected to be as good of a mime as she was a dancer. And not just a classical ballet dancer, but a character dancer or folk dancer as well. All of these elements played into these ballets. And even today, this structure uh, is uh, still used for some new ballets, and particularly still with revivals like Swan Lake and Sleeping Beauty and so forth. 
Heading into the 20th century, as in any art form, there was uh, sort of revolt against this, this format. It became passe, and choreographers were uh, trying something new uh, where the story was becoming even more prominent. And they thought, why are we having dances just for dance sake? The dances should be in service to the story. There should only be dancing when it makes sense in the story. Um, in the Soviet period in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 40s, there was a genre called the drum ballet or dram ballet, dramatic ballet. And that was very story driven. And the pantomime, the formal gestures, were replaced by just more natural gestures. People walking on stage without pointing their feet and uh, just running and shaking hands and sort of doing what I'm doing here with my hands as we talk and waving and just more everyday gestures. The thought was that the audience would relate more easily to it. And dancing was minimal in uh, a lot of these ballets. Uh, the stories would be uh, written so that there was an excuse for dancing, but it needed to make sense. So this went on for a couple decades, and then there was a revolt against that, and then ballets were choreographed, full evening ballets that were just dancing from beginning to end, nonstop, and gesture really went away. It was felt that it was uh, outdated, not just the old Italian mime, but most kind of gestures, and the idea was to put across emotion through the dance steps. And that, of course, brings challenges of its own, because how much emotion can you put across uh, with uh, the same step? How many things can an arabesque communicate? Is it a, a love arabesque? Is it an anger arabesque, and so forth? You know what I'm saying. So. This is all leading up to a little bit uh, to try and set up what we're going to see tonight, which is in a little bit of a different style. I don't think Mayo was consciously trying to, to copy this style or that style. He's doing what interests him and what works for him. But his style here in Cinderella, and as we saw somewhat in the Romeo and Juliet too, is that he's very story-driven. Uh, the dance is throughout the ballet, but it is always the character and the role that is interesting to him. He wants us to see Cinderella not as a dancer, but as a person who is, has a difficult life, has lost her mother, has a father who is unhappy, has a stepmother who's mean, who has two daughters who are also mean, and so forth. Uh, he wants us to see her father who is lonely and remembering uh, Cinderella's mother and uh, is oppressed by his new wife and uh, that is how this story proceeds. He is using the uh, famous Prokofiev score for Cinderella which incidentally is written on according to that 19th century model. It's a number of short discrete pieces that start and stop some are for action, some are for solos, some are for group dances, and so forth. But Prokofiev also, on top of that, wrote particular musical themes, uh, some relating to Cinderella and her story, some relating to the fairy who comes and uh, prepares her and enables her to go to the ball, uh, some that 
symbolize the love she and the prince have. And these are woven throughout the score, so they help to weave together and to connect all of these shorter disparate pieces. And I think this provides a, a good platform for Mayo's format of focusing on the story and kind of having what we might call in the music world, a through composed ballet. Doesn't start, it doesn't stop. We start at one place with the story and we move continuously through. Plenty of dancing for the uh, all of the roles and the characters in the ballet, but we don't have the action completely stop and have Cinderella dance a solo and then stop and so forth. It's woven into sort of the movement fabric. He also uses a lot of everyday gesture, which reminds me of the, the dram ballet genre. Uh, he's also created some gestures that have uh, a symbolism to them, uh, hands that flow to signify moving together or apart. But I think that they, I think, have enough, if you will, everyday or kind of colloquial aspect to them that they're the things we might do if we were trying to explain uh, an idea to someone and use our hands if you're a, a hand talker like I am. This is the third Cinderella that we've had here at PNB. We had the first uh, in 1980. It was Ben Stevenson's production. All of these have used the Prokofiev score. Did anyone see the Ben Stevenson? Has anyone been coming long enough to see that? Oh, this is the first group that hasn't had someone who saw the Ben Stevenson in 80. I don't think we performed it too many times. I know I didn't see it back then. In 94, Kent Stoll choreographed his production of Cinderella for us. It was uh, a special production in that, that it was to celebrate our move from the Good Shepherd Center in Wallingford to the Phelps Center next door. It was a very celebratory year where we had this great new facility, but he wanted to remind everyone that the reason we had the facility was so we could do a better job on stage next door. So he choreographed Carmina Burana for the opening of that season in the fall of 93 and Cinderella for June of 94 to close that. And so that has been in the repertory since, and this year we're adding to the rep this new production by Mayo, new to us. I think we're I think we're the fifth company, first company in the US to perform this. I know it's been performed in Korea, Sweden, and in Prague. So sort of all over. That's quite the quite a mix. And of course, uh Monte Carlo as well, who have toured it uh around, including in, in the States. Mayo likes to take a story and its characters uh, like he did with the score and used it as a platform for his style of choreographing. Here he's taken the story and also uh, in a way promoted his ideas about human behavior and characteristics and so forth. You'll see in the program notes right at the beginning uh, from the Monte Carlo notes they refer to him as a paleoanthropologist. And I thought, well, I, I know what that is, but I'm going to look it up anyway, because someone's going to ask if I don't mention it. Uh, someone, of course, who is studying the development of human character and the development of human behavior. So he has taken the characters in Cinderella and really created archetypes through them. As he did in Romeo and Juliet in 
bringing the role of Friar Lawrence more to the fore, he's done the same for the father here in Cinderella. So not only do we have the love story between Cinderella and the prince, but we have the father's story, which really has uh, is on equal footing with Cinderella's story. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we see the father as a man who is... Uh, both put upon but also lonely and he remembers the mother and we will see the character of the mother throughout the ballet she always has her hair down as does cinderella whereas the other female characters have uh, their hair up or their heads covered uh, in the case of the sisters with bandages because they have a lot of work done on themselves, or with uh, sort of grotesque wigs. It reminds me a little bit of the Hunger Games, if you will, and the difference between those that live in the city and those that lived out in the districts, for those of you that are familiar. So only the mother and Cinderella have their hair down in a more, uh, wear it in a more natural style, if you will. The role of the mother is, uh, also connected to the role of the fairy. We usually call her the fairy godmother here. She's just the fairy and performed by the same dancer. And tonight it will be Noelani Pantastico, who also performs the role of Cinderella and for the first time uh, with us is performing the role of uh, the fairy and the mother as well. And uh, almost the main role in the ballet, even though it's Cinderella, uh, the role of the mother and the fairy, this dual role, has great prominence. And not only does the mother uh, complete the character of the father, but the role of the fairy controls so much of the action in the ballet. Mayo has also introduced some new characters. If you're familiar with the story of Cinderella, these are new. Uh, there are two uh, gentlemen called the pleasure superintendents whose job is simply to make the lives of the stepmother and the sisters as glamorous as possible. They are on hand to uh, provide wardrobe and hair and everything uh, for these women who take full advantage of it. And they are a great comic relief. They're, these roles are performed by Stephen Locke and Miles Pirtle in these sort of great turquoise costumes. And then there are four mannequins as well, sort of caricatures. The mannequins we first see simply behaving as mannequins because they uh, assist with bringing in the clothes that the stepmother and sisters will wear to the ball. But they also participate in a story within a story and act out uh, the story of Cinderella, what might be, what could be for her. And this is, has, bears some relationship as well to Mayo's Romeo and Juliet, where he has the puppet show in the town square that foretells what uh, will happen that uh, Tybalt uh, will kill Mercutio and so forth. And uh, Mayo has done something similar here, but not with puppets, but with actual people, the uh, fellows who are the mannequins. Wanting to make sure I've not left out something that I think is the pivotal point, but great time for a question, yes. You're mentioning the costuming. Is there some point to that? 
Okay, good question uh, about the costuming. Costumes are by Jerome Kaplan. Uh, the stepmother, when she dresses for the ball, uh, she wears purple. And when she's outfitted for the ball, part of her outfit includes a sort of spiky tail, a little bit of a reptilian accent. And I think it is simply a comment on her character. Uh, that said, I know there's a little sort of a meme going around of Leslie Roush in the, ta in the tail with, is it Barney the Dinosaur? Is that his name? Anyway, antics in the dressing rooms. But uh, yes, there are, the costumes uh, are a commentary on the character of the, of the uh, characters, if you will, of the different roles. For example, Cinderella, the mannequin who uh, portrays Cinderella in the story within the story, uh, wears an elaborate ball dress and a wig and so forth, which Cinderella in actuality uh, dismisses and will not wear to the ball and instead chooses to wear a dress that was, was her mother's, which is very, very simple. Uh, Cinderella always opting for the simple, uh, real, realistic or real, if you will, option with the hair down. Uh, and there is no glass slipper even as well. She simply has her feet dipped in glitter and uh, that is how she goes to the ball in as simple wear as possible. And a, it's a very striking juxtaposition with the stepmother with her elaborate costume with the tail and the wig with the horns and the stepsisters as well who are sort of only treated like half a person because one has half, half of a, a, a dress, if you will, and the other has the other half. So... <laughs> Mayo doesn't think much of them, I don't think. <laughs> so every aspect is uh, of the design and created by the production team, I think, is in service to Mayo's ideas about these characters. He has put together the same production team that he used for Romeo and Juliet. The sets are the white flats by Ernest Pignon, Ernest, uh, this time with a little more of a lyrical quality to them. The lighting designer is Dominique Drio, who uh, I think is just a, a brilliant designer, his use of light on the flats, but also his use of light, especially if you're seated up above, you'll see it on the stage with the moving lights that contract and expand and help us uh, focus our attention. The lighting can often show us where we should be looking on a stage that is, is very full and has a lot of principal characters on it at one time, all doing different things. The lighting will, will assist us and guide us through the, through the narrative. Uh, costumes by Jerome Kaplan, who we know well here at PMB. He is uh, the designer of Romeo and Juliet, very contemporary costumes, but also of our Giselle, which is very uh, traditional and historic. And as uh, Peter Bull mentions in the notes, will be the designer for our 50th anniversary production of Jewels uh, this fall. So uh, we'll be seeing a lot of Jerome Kaplan, and I think you'll enjoy his uh, costumes this evening. They're all very uh, detailed and very, very particular. So as I said, we can see the production team is, is really in tune with uh, Mayo's conception of who these characters are. Also, before I forget, again, I want to mention that Seth Orza will be 
here following the show for the post-performance Q&A. He, he dances the role of the father. He'll be with Peter Bowl, And uh, I think he performs the role beautifully. And uh, so if you're interested, do come down and hear from Seth and from Peter about this production and about this role. And I think you'll, there'll be a lot to, to take away from that. Are there other questions? Yes, please. Yes, yeah, treatment of the prints. Um, there's a little bit in the program notes that help give us an idea of uh, Mayo's idea of the prints. Definitely very young, uh, probably immature, in that he realizes his life is incomplete, but he doesn't really know why or what he's looking for. Uh, he has a lot of energy, and he uh, is loves feet, which is perfect for the story. A uh, lot of uh, evaluation of someone based on the feet, which is a good thing for Cinderella. Uh, he has four friends that are his companions, um, and he is sort of the leader of the pack, if you will. And uh, we do, he gets a lot of stage time in the second half of the ballet. Mayo has staged the uh, section that Prokofiev wrote, which shows the prince traveling around the world in search of Cinderella to exotic places and so forth. So that comes at the beginning of the third act. We play second and third act back to back with just a pause, so there's just one intermission. So the, the prince figures in the uh, second half of the ballet, but uh, isn't offered as much as the father is in this ballet. Mayo seems to think the father is a treats the father as a more elevated character than the prince. I think it's Cinderella who sort of validates the prince's character or brings out in the prince what is, is not inherently there, if you will. Yes, it is quite different. I don't know, I know I go back to their notes. I was very impressed with the program notes that they sent and that they deal with each character and at least give us a glimpse or a starting point for explaining Mayo's take on each of them. So he, uh, they offer us these ideas about the prince, but I think then we have to see how that plays out in the ballet. Yeah. It, definitely different from what we traditionally might um, think of as the prince who can sort of see through uh, a Cinderella who is very glamorous and beautifully presented at the ball and see her true character, whereas here, uh, Cinderella is always showing that true character, if you will, and, and eschewing the, 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 the glamour, quote-unquote, that is part of the uh, character makeup of the stepmother and the sisters. So, so I think Cinderella is the more positive influence on the prince, maybe, rather than vice versa. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, maybe a more modern idea. Yes. <laughs> Anybody else with a question? Has anyone seen the, oh yes, please. Well, you know, we have, how did we get this ballet? We have a relationship with uh, Mayo through Romeo and Juliet, which we've had on stage probably four times in the last decade or so. And so I think that opens the door for a request to, to acquire another ballet of his and uh, I know Peter was Peter Bull was uh, looking for another contemporary, if you will, full-length ballet, and uh, 
asked Mayo about this one and uh, knew that uh, Noelani had danced it. And so uh, I know, I'm sure there was conversation there about, about the roles in the ballet. And so that's how that came about. We've rented the production from them as, uh, as opposed to building it ourselves this first time out. So uh, they've uh, shipped us their production. I think, it, yes, they've shipped us their production. The wardrobe was saying uh, all of the Czech names that were in the costumes, but that is because the, the ballet in Prague had danced it as well. And so if a, if a company is renting a ballet, of course, wardrobe will put tags for the particular dancers in the costume. You get a little history of things there when you look at these costumes. And uh, so we had it shipped over, the scenery and, and costumes, and some of their tech people came over to help us load it into the theater and so forth. So, yeah, we have a nice relationship with Ballet de Monte Carlo, so that's how that this came about. So, sure. Yes? Do you think we're in danger of Oh, good question. Are we in danger of losing any more dancers to Ballet de Monte Carlo? Because Noelani, of course, went and now has come back. And Lucienne Postalwaite also dances there. But to guest for us and do one show here last week, um, we, we never like to lose dancers, so I hope not. But uh, uh, Ballet de Monte Carlo is really a touring company. They don't do too many performances in Monte Carlo. Most of the performing is on the road. So that offers a great opportunity to tour the world and to perform in many, many different cities all over. Whereas we're much more of a resident company here. Our focus is performing here, uh, uh, varied repertory for our audience and our subscribers, and then touring is sort of subsidiary, and we, we or if that's the correct word, we, um, it's, it's a sort of secondary uh, priority for us, although we love to tour. Um, we're a large company, and it's harder to uh, harder for us to take the whole kit and caboodle on the road, if you will. So, anybody else with a question? I wondered if anyone has seen this production yet and is back. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're seeing a different cast than tonight. Uh, it's Elizabeth Murphy. Yes. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. Please. Yes, the four mannequins, as they're called, yes. The story within the story. Oh, the exotics, they're called, yes. The idea at the beginning of the third act, according to the original Prokofiev, is that the prince is sort of voyaging around the world in search of Cinderella. And I think in the original score, he visits three different locales. I believe here that Mayo has uh, substituted some music from another Prokofiev production. So there's sort of one, um, one visit. And we first see the prince sort of traveling on the, the water and they bring out a, a piece of cloth that represents the, the water and he's traveling with his friends uh, and then meets these very exotic women in this foreign locale and uh, in search of Cinderella, and then somehow makes his way to, I guess Cinderella is the last woman that he comes to, and her home is the last house uh, that he's not given up yet. So that is the, the idea 
behind that opening of that third scene, which Mayo has taken from that from the original score, but tweaked a little bit or streamlined, if you will. All right, we are at where well, we're a little past. We're 7:01, so I need to let you go. Curtain is at 7:30. Thank you for being here and supporting the ballet. Please do come back to speak with Seth and Peter Bull after the performance if you like and enjoy your time. Thank you.